Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Witch Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Hello and welcome to another Witch Please Patreon bonus interview. We have a very special double interview for you today. Um, wait, normally at the beginning of this, I say who I am. I'm Hannah. Marcel, who are you? I'm I'm Hannah. I'm also Marcel. Yeah, it's you know what? It's confusing, but I honestly, if you're a Patreon supporter, you probably should know what our voices sound like at this point. Confusing, but on brand. Yeah, confusingly on brand and on brandingly confusing. So our guests today are Kiana and Vicky. So Kiana reached out to us uh, via Twitter, asking if we could have a conversation about the ongoing protests in Iran. Uh, and we also connected with Vicky, who is actually zooming in right now from Tehran in Iran. And uh, they're going to chat with us about the ongoing protests. Thank you so much, Kiana and Vicky, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I'm so glad to be here. Why don't we start? Um, Kiana, can you tell us about the organization that you um, reached out to us uh, to talk about? Yeah, so me and um, another woman who we were protesting together in the here in the UK uh, at the since the beginning of the protest, which was when Masa Amini, the 22 year old Kurdish girl, um, was killed whilst in custody of the morality police. Um, we met during the protests and we realized that we have the same goals. You know, we want to hold UK government accountable for 
um, you know, supporting, make sure they support Iranian people and not continue supporting the Islamic Republic regime, which is uh, the sort of thing they're kind of doing. Um, and raise awareness and make sure, you know, everyone knows what's going on and um, kind of give our um, point of view as Iranians to, you know, people here in the UK. So, yeah, um, that's what our organization basically does. Um, and, you know, we have leaflets, posters. We go on um, like shows like yours to do interviews. Uh, we have a radio show. Um, we organize protests. Um, so, yeah, anything that can raise awareness. And I'm so sorry. Can you tell us can you tell us what your organization is called again? So it's uh, Women for Liberty of Iran. But we just call it Women for Iran for short because that's quite long. <laughs> Amazing. So. You just gave us a lot of background information, and I'm going to ask if we can, like, pause and go back for anybody who is listening right now who has not been following the story. I mean, I hope mm -hmm. everybody listening is at least aware that there are major protests happening right now in Iran. Um, but can we talk a little bit more about Masa Amini and, and why it was that her death sparked this particular moment of protest? Yeah, I think that would be a really good question for Vicky to answer because um, she can give perspective from inside of Iran. Um, mm -hmm. So um, for the past like 40 years, I think um, the protests against hijab started right at the inception of the Islamic Republic. Um, and people have been protesting this for a very, very long time. But um, what really led to this as a lot of analysts and experts have called it the, the powder keg moment was the death of Masamini in custody of the morality police. So um, the morality police has existed in Iran for the past 40 years in sub different shapes and forms and under different names. And they have constantly rebranded and given themselves the, like different names and operated under like um, names like uh, the Jandullah Patrol or something colloquially known as committee, and later on Gashta Irshad, which means the guidance patrol, and later it again like rebranded to morality safe like moral safety police in Farsi. All of these names are so sinister. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like um, a lot of people are saying like the next one might be like something like modesty police or modesty mm. patrol or like stuff like that. So they have enforced mandatory hijab with violence uh, for 40 years and they just kept getting away with it because people had like, quote unquote, more, more important concerns about like it, it, at first it was the Iran-Iraq war and then like economic issues and then there was economic issues and again economic issues mm, and all of that mm -hmm. yep but then i think what really led to people like this being very important in people's psyche was that uh the police introduced this new law that if a woman was unveiled in a car that car would get fined uh and if that transgression repeat was repeated three times they would confiscate their cars put them in government parking lots and the only way to get your car back from the government uh, was if you attended like morality and guidance classes from the police. Oh. So, yeah. And that was like a very big issue in Iran. So what happened was that like this 
is a very patriarchal society and that would mean that a lot of property and assets are owned by men mostly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. most of the cars getting fined and confiscated were owned by the men in the family. So now men oh were God. being punished for transgressing on hijab laws. And for the first time mm. in a very long time, they were, you know, they understood how much of an inconvenience it is and how unfair it is that we uh, have to get punished for something we don't believe in. Mm. And I think like that along with um, closing down businesses that allowed women to attend like without hijab, like cafes and restaurants or fining and confiscating cars from um, gig worker drivers, like from the Iranian version of Uber, which is called like Snap and Tapsi. Uh, all of these really just, they pitted women and men against each other, essentially, and try to financially reprimand and punish people for uh, transgressing on hijab laws. I'm sure financially incentivize men to attempt to reinforce the laws themselves. Exactly. Like, do their work for them and police women uh, so they could, like, protect their um, livelihoods, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, But that led to a lot of tensions, especially on social media and women were starting to be very conscious of wearing, not wearing the hijab and trying to unveil as much as possible. Um, Then at the beginning of summer, around the beginning of July, I think, there was this video of this Chaduri woman. Chador is the Islamic Republic uniform and preferred form of hijab. It's a very long black fabric that is meant to be worn above a headscarf and then long shirt dress and long pants and socks and all of that. So Chaudhuri women um, are sometimes seen as supporters of the regime. And we have seen videos of them constantly uh, arguing with or cursing at women who they don't, uh, they believe to be um, immodest, let's say. So this video surface of this Chaudhuri woman bad-mouthing and arguing with this girl out of frame that was supposedly not wearing the hijab and they were on a bus passengers were arguing with her saying like it's none of your business let her go and stuff like that and she was also filming this argument and then this video went viral and people were very upset over the situation and the next day or like the the like the day after a girl was arrested called Sepide Rashno, and she was believed to be the woman out of frame in the video. And ah. what had happened was definitely that this woman who was filming had reported her to the authorities and she was promptly arrested. And when people expressed concerns over her whereabouts and like the reason she was arrested, after a week or so, she appeared on TV very emaciated with this like sickly face that, you know, showed signs of possible torture and she gave out this forced confession confessed to her crimes and said like she was agitated by outside forces and stuff like that uh, to do these things or say these things that was revealed as she said on twitter like she had expressed anti-government sentiments so that really enraged the public that forced confession video really enraged the public and a lot of feminists organized this movement of appearing without the hijab on the streets, like completely without hijab, not just like removing the headscarf, but like going out with a jean and like a pair of jeans and a t-shirt or something you would wear as a normal woman who doesn't want to wear the hijab. And then they started sharing videos of themselves doing so. And that led to Melika Garagos, who's 
arrest. She had shared a video of herself unveiled walking around the streets and she was arrested and remains arrested to this day. And she has been moved to a psych ward. She has been moved to a psychiatric hospital without, without her family being permitted to visit her at all. So all of that really had people very focused on the issue of hijab. And, you know, it was like we were waiting for a moment to just explode over it because it's this outward appearance of the gender apartheid regime that we have been living under for the past 40 years. And Mahsa's death really broke that illusion of safety because we all wore the hijab, even though we didn't believe in it, because we thought it would keep us safe from the government. But seeing Mahsa's photos moments before her arrest, seeing how covered she was and how much she was complying to this rule really broke that illusion that you could stay safe from their violence because this is a way for them to make money through those fines, through uh, filling up their vans and, you know, taking women from the streets, like basically stealing women off the streets so they can like do their job and uh, get paid for filling up those vans and stuff like that and seeing the brutality that Massa endured and really just enraged people and that was the moment that we were all just we were like enough is enough we cannot tolerate this any further wow i didn't know so much of the lead up to Massa's death um and it's it, and it's so clear that it was you know a a, a trigger point for something that had been fomenting for some time. Exactly. Because um, for a very long time, people just didn't, people viewed it as this frivolous demand, this frivolous concern that like, I mean, like wear the hijab, we have like bigger issues. It's okay. Like just comply. Mm. So you should stay safe. And this is not our biggest concern and stuff like that. Some people are still like that. Like throughout this protest, a lot of people have been like, hijab is not our concern. We want the regime gone. And with the regime gone, hijab will be gone. But uh, a lot of us understand that hijab is the key to understanding the level of control this government want to, uh, wants to like put over women and just people in general. And they want to like financially gain from it even. And it came out today that... Um, a member of the parliament has suggested to freeze uh, Iranian women's bank accounts if they don't comply with the hijab. Like they're trying to be as harsh as possible and mm-hmm. they they will not stop because this is something that they won't ever compromise on as we've um, seen and it's, it's been established. So when we were chatting over email ahead of time, Kiana, you had mentioned that this is an issue that a lot of women, if I'm remembering correctly, I wish I had looked it up, um, that this is an issue that a lot of women outside of Iran are uh, reluctant to talk about. And that really spoke to me because I remember when we first started talking on the Witch Please team about having a conversation about this, I was also really nervous about talking about it because I feel like as a as a non-Iranian, as a non-Muslim woman, I don't know how to engage respectfully and meaningfully in this conversation. And so I was wondering if you wanted to talk a bit more about that and what it is that, um, what women like us could do uh, that would be that would be meaningful and that would be helpful um, and respectful of this issue. Yeah, the tricky piece of context I, w- I, would, I would just add there for 
for non-Canadian listeners is that uh, Canada, Quebec in particular, um, has has a history of, I mean, many places in, in the West have a history of, of anti-Muslim sentiments and anti-Muslim laws. But in Canada, it has taken the form of um, refusing like services, refusing public services to women wearing the hijab, mm-hmm. um, which is a sort of political forced unveiling. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the the organ a lot of the shape the organizing takes in Canada is insisting on women's right to wear the hijab if they mm-hmm. choose to. And the understanding that forced unveiling is also still forcing women to do things with their bodies based on the government's belief that they have the right to control women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I would I would love Kiana to to hear about sort of navigating how to protest across cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um yeah, I think um the important thing is to realize that um you know, the the movement, the protest to, you know, help women be able to wear the hijab is so connected to the same movement in Iran that's asking to let women not wear the hijab. You know, it's it's once you start focusing on the hijab itself or like, you know, uh, the piece of cloth, you realize that it's about woman's choice um, or, you know, the person's choice mm-hmm. to wear whatever they want. That is the main thing. Yeah. So um, I've I've noticed that a lot of, you know, feminists and, um, you know, progressive people in the West that turn, tend to speak up about different issues really quickly have not been speaking about what's going on in Iran as much. And, you know, through this past few months, I've kind of started to understand why that is. And the reason is, it seems to be because of, you know, the colonialism and the racist and the xenophobic history uh, that is in the West. People are, you know, people in the left are trying to kind of avoid falling into those kind of discourses. So what they do instead is they move so far from it that they just can't kind of address the situation anymore. Yeah, what they do instead is nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think it's also related to a topic that you've discussed in one of your episodes, like Orientalism, um, where... You know, in the past um, and still, you know, Orientalism tends to um, view people from regions like Iran in a negative light. So, you know, to to kind of deviate away from that, people tend to kind of go to the very opposite side, which is still othering people, which is still othering Iranian women and Iranian people. But this time they're saying that, oh, everyone from Iran is good. So, you know, all the men from Iran are also good because, you know, they're not they're not, you know, murderers and rapists and all that. So they must be good. They can't surely they can't be, you know, doing those things that they are imagined to do by, you know, Orientalism. So when, when you when you tell these people that when you tell these people that, oh, like, you know, women are being raped in prison, uh, women are being murdered, then they're like, oh, why are you, you know, you're basically being racist. You're, you're being like, you're falling into the trap of the West. You're like spreading Western propaganda. And, I'm, and when we kind of argue with them, we tell them, you know, we are Iranian. We've seen these things with our own eyes. Um, you know, I've seen people get beaten up in the street by the police for, you know, just peacefully protesting. Um, you know, a lot of Iranian people have lost family members to the government. What the, What tends to happen is people 
if they don't know me they, in person, they like uh, call me a bot. They say I'm like Western propaganda bot or like people I know in person. Sometimes they block me because they just can't say anything after, you know, I say I'm an Iranian person and like this is our experience. But it just affects their kind of worldview so much that people, you know, isn't this can't this doesn't have to be Western propaganda. Bad things are happening that they just, you know, they just prefer to end the discussion there. And yeah. Um, so I think it's important to, instead of, you know, othering us in any, any sort of form, just understand that we're all human and that women's right, you know, women's right to, uh, you know, choose to wear what they want or leave the house without permission of their husband or go to work or leave the country or all the things that, you know, people in Iran, women in Iran can't do. This is, this is not about cultural differences or things that, you know, people say to kind of excuse that behavior. This is about, you know, when you realize that we're all human and we all need to have these rights, then you'll also be able to fight for them with us, you know, by our side, instead of kind of just watching or feeling bad or not knowing what to do or worrying about the right, saying the wrong thing. You know, once you kind of strip it back, I think, you know, everyone can kind of fight this battle together. Yeah, thank you for that. Perfectly said. I'm wondering, Vicky, I know that there has been a lot of misinformation coming out of Iran. Yeah. You know, government misinformation that then gets repeated in the Western press. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about sort of what things are like on the ground right now. Well, protests are still happening. And what people have been more focused on right now are nationwide strikes. And on the other hand, um, these were the good news, but the bad news is that the government already has started uh, giving out um, death sentences to protesters and so far, 11 people have been given death sentences and many more are sure to come because I think it's around like 20 or so people have been accused of crimes that are punishable by death uh, in Islamic mm. Republic law, such as waging war against God and corrupting the earth. And mm -hmm. these mean that these could mean anything, honestly, you know, whatever the government deems corrupting earth or waging war against god in this case like yeah mm -hmm. because the supreme leader has this like godlike status and iran really operates like this like cult or mafia and um what they're trying to do is scare people from joining the protests um what they're trying to do is that the strikes have really like bamboozled them because they uh, they either want to like forcefully close down the businesses that have gone on mm. strike or forcefully open the businesses that have gone on strike which doesn't mean anything like they're very confused in what to do and they keep threatening dissidents but at the same time they're rolling back uh or saying stuff like the morality police is no more and stuff like that to mm -hmm. fool the media but morality police is the Islamic Republic itself and the laws are th still in place. And even if that sort of patrol rebrands again, we still have like university guards posted at the entrance of every single university, making sure that female students, you know, go to classes with the quote unquote proper attire and they would be barred from going to those classes or in every single workplace, there is this kind of guard that makes sure that women are dressed the way they should be and stuff like that. But so far, a lot of a lot of us have started unveiling. A lot of us have stopped just, you know, appearing the way they want us to do because what Mahsa's death showed us is that no matter how much you cover up, 
just because of being a woman and being out there, you will be punished for it. And you, you will be taken because they have this like sort of quota to feel, uh, to fill and they have to fill up their vans. And there are where I live and what I've heard from most other cities is that like anti-riot forces are posted instead of the morality police, there are now the execution patrols uh, posted in every single street and uh, like busy places that might see like protests happening or squares. And um, in schools right now, they're using schools to park their cars and gather their forces and stuff like that. So we see a lot of like these scary black big vehicles and these like what we call them cockroaches cockroach dressed like police forces and stuff like that they, they definitely look like cockroaches i don't know if you've seen any uh, footage of the protest calling <laughs> the police cockroaches rules yeah. yeah they were like anti-riot gear with like you know the whole the whole shebang yeah yeah it looks like the exoskeleton of a cockroach so they're everywhere and sometimes they just like patrol the streets on their motorcycles shouting stuff like um i don't know if i should say it like it's hey dad hey dad which is like a call to the first imam of shia which is supposed to like give them strength or you know they they're going through the streets like trying to have this show of power and what happened like during the world cup was that when iran scored goals against uh, Wales, the these same like police forces started like dancing in the streets, which was such a bizarre and absurd show of um, I don't know like patriotism or something, and we were all very um, amused by it <laughs> um, because essentially like the FIFA um, like the football team of Iran doesn't really have any support among the people because they didn't say a word in support of the protesters and they bowed mm. their head to the president uh, mom- like mm-hmm. uh, days before they uh, went for Qatar. And so the team didn't have any sort of support. And in fact, people came to the streets and celebrated when America scored goals against Iran and Bonn, and, which is such a bizarre thing to, you know, root yeah. for the team of a different country. Like we had uh, videos from Kurdistan who is under so much military pressure and uh, they're setting fire to people's houses over there in Kurdistan and they're getting the worst of it, honestly. But they were like out dancing in the streets when America won the match against Iran. And uh, these are the stuff that are happening. The regime doesn't really have any kind of support among people. Everyone is very much discontent with how they're doing stuff. And everyone is very much in danger, especially those detained. And there's a new hashtag, Stop Executions in Iran, which tries to name people who have been convicted and sentenced to death uh, or are sure to be in the near future. So this is what's happening. It's a very strange time to live in. And it's it's very bittersweet because it's like we're starting to get our power back, but they're also retaliating in full force and minorities are getting the worst of it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So perhaps we can we can conclude, Kiana, by hearing a little bit more about what folks who are not on the ground in Iran can do to support the people and the protesters. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, Iranian people, um, you know, in, inside Iran have been fighting so bravely. And we kind of 
take our guide from them and the diaspora has been kind of watching people inside of Iran what they're doing and also listening you know I listen to all my friends and family and what they want us to do so we've, we've created um different resources that people can use um you know there is a link tree um on our page women for Iran and it's it has a lot of different um actions that you can take so email templates to send to your MPs or representatives wherever you are um petitions to sign all that kind of thing there's resources and yeah if you if you basically just go through that you just basically do a few clicks for each and then it makes a massive difference and then apart from that just um sharing on your social media you know every every few days at least just like post something about everyone just so you keep the conversation going and trending because we've seen from the Islamic Republic regime that when when there is a tension on them they are more fearful to kind of take drastic actions like mass execution they have a history of you know doing mass executions thousands of people at a time but once there is international tension on them they they just normally don't tend to do that so as long as you know we are uh, there is a tension on them which you know us just normal people can do by just sharing on our social media or things like that we're helping the people inside Iran so that's that's really important and I think the most important thing for people to know is that this is not about reform this is about a revolution this is a you know full-fledged revolution and people will not stop before that's reached because there is a lot of mis misinformation actually coming from inside um as in like the government the regime themselves and they want to kind of portray this as, as reform for their survival because as long as you know they say this is reform the other you know world governments will continue will have to continue kind of trading with them and dealing with them and you know giving them more money but what we're asking is to stop we're asking you know uk us canada governments to stop um giving them money stop dealing with them because this money will go to oppressing people and killing people basically because you know it, once you accept this is a revolution then there's no you know and that this is a terrorist state that's occupied iran there's no need to you know deal with them or even like speak with them you just need to support their people by stopping any sort of yeah money going in there was a good sentence that said um we don't want the world governments to support us to help us we, we want them to stop helping our oppressors which is yeah what we're trying to do here yeah and i just wanted to add a final thing about you know why uh there is so much you know hesitance about kind of uh, sharing and supporting and kind of thing, especially from the left, is because the Iranian government themselves are kind of using this wave of, you know, trying not to be colonialist or like racist. They're, they are actually utilizing that for their benefit. You know, they, they actually pay academics, they pay politicians, you know, lobbyists to actually kind of advance this agenda for them that like if people speak up in support of Iranian people, then, you know, they are actually... Uh, being like colonials because they i think for like since their inception they have painted themselves as this like anti-imperialist force in the region uh but what they in fact have shown uh with their dealings with china russia turkey and assad's regime is that they want imperialism for themselves you know i think people it's time for people to recognize them as this oppressor force uh with imperialistic ambitions in the region and any sort of money you give this government and any sort of negotiations you have with this government go towards uh, oppression of people in uh, Iran, fomenting wars in the region, and as we've recently seen, helping Russia, for example, to 
bomb Ukraine, you know. So they have the most powerful autocratic authoritarian allies in the region, but somehow they have, you know, painted themselves as this like anti-imperialist force. But what is very important for people to realize is that since their inception, they have executed every single leftist, every single socialist, everyone who has threatened their power. And that's how they have solidified their power in the region and have complete and utter control and grasp over every single matter of every single Iranian citizen's life. So we want the negotiations to stop because we have seen when they succeed, what happens. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Like JCPOA uh, went into effect a few years ago and people flooded to the streets in celebration because we thought that like with uh, the partial lifting of the sanctions, like our lives would be so much different, but it, but, but it wasn't. And then it led to the 2019 protests when the government just started shooting people's, um, shooting at people who were protesting gas prices and egg prices and shutting down the internet and all of that. So that's just empowering this government. Any sort of negotiation is empowering this government. And my final thought is that don't let them fool you. And I'm very happy that we're finally part of the narrative because um, our experience has been one of exclusion, not being seen, not being heard. And the only time we were on the news is what it was because our government or supreme leader or our president had done something vile or said something like horrible or denied the Holocaust or denied that gay people existed in Iran or they had opened fire on protesters and stuff like that. But Iranian women were never seen and never heard either inside or outside of Iran. So I think what we really have accomplished and what I thank you for is like giving a platform to Iranian women, listening to them and having their experience as part of the narrative of like the general fight against oppression and the general fight against patriarchy. That, that, that's been amazing. And that's been very heartwarming seeing all the support coming from all across the world. And uh, it's just been just moving, seeing all of that. I really want to thank both of you as well for, you know, the, the very real risks that you're both taking in connecting with us and in sharing your experiences with us and in helping to 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 clarify so much of the misinformation that is circulating and that is preventing us from um really understanding what's happening and i'm so grateful thank you yeah yeah and just for the the time and the the generosity um of of everything that you've shared with us today thank you so much for having us yeah thank you so much this has meant a lot to us so yeah thank you it's just it's amazing to have a platform (laughs) um because it's just like so many years of being not heard or listened to or not seen at all ever this is just amazing um and thank you guys (laughs) 